Well, not quite. I'll be talking about much more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where the intersection of finance, technology, and policy come together. And I'm your host, Chris Brummer. The future of finance is now. Today, we're going to take a slightly different tack and approach Fintech through a different lens. We're in Geneva, Switzerland, right outside of the World Trade Organization. And we're going to talk about Fintech and the ensuing trade wars. Our focus, the United States and China. Now, Asia has become the go-to place for many fintech innovators and innovations, but Asia too, and China specifically, has come under the scrutiny of President Trump when it comes to trade. Well, China has been taking advantage of the United States for many, many years. I'm not just talking about during the Obama administration. Uh, you can go back long before that. And it's been taking out 400, 500, 600 billion dollars a year out of the United States, and we can't let that happen. Which brings us to our topic today. Has the trade war between China and the United States impacted fintech? Could China impose tariffs or restricted measures on some sort on U.S. manufactured cryptocurrencies or cloud infrastructure providers? Could the United States retaliate against major fintech companies like Alibaba? And what would the World Trade Organization have to say about it, especially when it comes to financial services? These questions and more on this week's fintech. We are just steps from the World Trade Organization at the famous Graduate Institute Geneva, one of the training grounds for international trade lawyers. And I have Heng Wang, co-director of the Herbert Smith Freehills China International Business and Economic Law Center at the University of New South Wales, Sydney. Professor Wang, it's great to have you. Thank you. Uh, clearly, China has been very enthusiastic about fintech, from online lending to crowdfunding. Why is that? I think it's being uh, related to China. If you look at history of China's practice in financial sector, they're not very well developed. So actually FinTech, financial technology, helps to China to take advantage of the uh, possible problems in the previous system. So by providing low cost uh, financial services to businesses, and also it's helping for people who are lacking access to regular banking to have access to that. So it's really an issue about financial inclusion, that when you think about the trends of, I guess, urbanization and people moving to cities and just upgrading infrastructure, this is part of that uh, larger program in China. China uh, has not really have a lot, so much regulation regarding fintech. That also helping the domestic fintech companies to find their uh, room and also to have a large market share in that regard. So they also benefit from the leniency in the financial regulation at the start of the uh, fintech industry. When you think about fintech, fintech is new, and one of the competitive advantages was the leniency, that, that, that ultimately they didn't have rules in place in the same way that they had rules in place in, in, in Europe and in the United States. Uh, is, is that still considered to be a competitive advantage when it comes to fintech in China? I think now we have to wait and see what happened in regu regulatory space. In the, at the early stage, China has been lenient in the regulation, but now we have a giant uh, fintech companies. The government seems to strengthen the regulation because there are concerns about the financial stability, um, and also they have other issues relating to that China now have been a leader in fintech patents. 
once China has started to now create its own financial technology, it basically wants to own it, right? And it wants to be able to control it through patents and, and through taking some kind of uh, a le legal ownership in that financial technology. And, and that's really, uh, in turn, potentially going to spur uh, even more attention uh, relating to financial uh, uh, regulations and, and, and rules. Yeah, I think that's that's been China. That's the reason why China has been the largest fintech applicants, according to some mass media's uh, investigation. And also, uh, China basically want to maintain the role as a leading uh, nation in this regard. And also, in practice, if you look at mobile payment, for example, China is the largest one, I think, in the world, plus the largest consumption markets in that regard. It also gives the advantage in China, both in technology but also in the markets. The Belt and Road Initiative, or the BRI, what role and what is the connection between the BRI uh, and, and fintech? What, what, what kind of role does fintech play in that larger program? And obviously for some people you may want to explain just what the BRI is. Yeah, so as we know that the Belt and Road Initiative, the BRI, is China-led uh, large uh, extra-regional initiative uh, starting from building infrastructure, to other areas like people-to-people -people link, financial cooperation, and so on and so forth. For fintech itself, uh, China basically has been the, uh, the capacity of being a leader in this area, and China has expanded their businesses, uh, fintech company expands their businesses in Southeast Asia, for example, uh, in area like mobile payment. And also they have also, uh, a discussion about the further in, uh, important role uh, in area like the uh, uh, supply chain, uh, finance and fintech will help China because the BRI deal with trade and investment. Finance is crucial for that. They involve issues like payment, like data, and all these are very crucial aspects for fintech. You know, it, just that conversation just uh, certainly uh, leads to a number of observations. Uh, you had mentioned just the, the, the sheer size of China itself in terms of potential consumers and potential users of financial technology. And then you have something like the Belt and Road Initiative, which involves not just a physical infrastructure, not just concrete and laying down roads and seaways, but also the digital infrastructure, which also then increases even further the potential size of this customer uh, base. And keeping track of it all, you need different kinds of digital technologies. Uh, do you, do you see um, conflict uh, uh, between the United States and China when it comes to securing fintech dominance? So if we look at the external interest, which means that uh, they have the different position between U.S. and China, like the, the data localization. So China basically uh, uh, requires data localization, while the U.S. does not want uh, to, to impose that uh, kind of, uh, of the rules. So that would be one of the areas where they have those kind of the potential conflict. And another areas which I found could be relevant is actually internally. They have to uh, be um, relevant in regarding how do you uh, utilize the, uh, the data, and also how do you have a data governance. And China has preferred the soft law approach, which is not binding, while the U.S., for example, uh, wants those kind of issues to be addressed under, for example, the uh, trade agreements, regional trade agreements. Ultimately, then, China's perspective on data localization, in a way, it, it kind of looks like Europe's in the sense that uh, there's a, a sense that data should be housed physically within the borders 
of China, right? So it can control really in, in, in a, to, for perhaps different purposes, but to be able to control or safeguard that data. And uh, it's taking a very different approach from the United States. And when you think about data and digital technologies, the two go hand in hand. Um, uh, and so ultimately that's, that is, is, is exacerbating, um, I guess, some of the, the, the tensions in terms of how technology is developed, you think? Yeah, I think so. And, and also I want to add that actually both the U.S. and China, I, I suspect, hasn't, have not been 100% sure about their position. They still have been understanding how their final interests and also position will be regarding the, the fintech and also like data localization. For example, for Chinese businesses, they may have also encountered uh, barriers if the data localization is require, requirements are imposed on them. So, for example, they have some Chinese businesses has been su subject to strict data localization requirements, which could be could not be ideal for them. Certainly, the United States and China can have very different approaches in terms of how they regulate the technology itself and the provision of uh, fintech services. Uh, what does the multilateral world have to say about it? I think actually we have the uh, WTO, the World Trade Organization, established in 1995, and and they have uh, there is agreements uh, which is called the General Agreement on Trading Services, GATS. Uh, GATS deals with trading services, uh, um, so that's been relevant rule. We can find that there are some rules in the GATS which will be relevant. So, for example, uh, you have the issue about market access, so which means that every WTO member will have a commitments on how they will liberalize their markets and for financial services, same case. And then you have the issue about whether the, those schedules uh, of commitments they have in 1990s can apply to the fintech context. So we have some, we had some cases before, like China publication case, have similar scenario, how the old schedule can be interpreted according to fintech. And also they have other aspects as well. I was going to ask, you know, if you're, say, providing blockchain-related services, is that covered by the GATS? Because, obviously, the WTO and all these agreements were created back in the 90s prior to, you know, this explosion in financial innovation and financial services. So, in, you, in your judgment, is that covered by these agreements? I think, say, they are more, probably not the technology itself being covered because the GATS deal with the services. So the financial services using the new technology uh, will be covered. So that's the issue about the market ac access. But also they have other issues which also be relevant, like prudential regulation. Do you, do you see any challenges for not just China, but for the multilateral system in general uh, when it comes to thinking through the responses countries have to one another as they think through interpreting 1990s-styled market access issues in a global, digitally-based economy. Uh, is, is this uh, something that you think the WTO uh, is even prepared to do uh, under the best of circumstances, much less when you have all of this friction between member states on basic issues like tariffs on cars and the like? I think it's, it will be a very difficult process. Because on one hand, the WTO rules are designed in the 1990s, um, so that's been a different context what we have. And also, WTO does face their crisis nowadays in terms of their appellate uh, ju judges, their members of that. 
Another side is being the gas rule itself are quite abstract and also they are not as detailed even compared with those rules on trading goods. So even for the case we mentioned, the uh, China publication case, there are a lot of different interpretation of that. Um, and also, uh, if we look at different rules in the gas, like those on general exception regarding public goods, oh sorry, public order, how do you understand public order? could be quite subject to different interpretation. Do you look at a lack of transparency by cloud service suppliers, or you look at the um, fintech-related prudential risks? So those are the new issues which won't be easy to prove, but also to interpret. Uh, that is uh, quite a challenge, certainly for, for upcoming uh, lawyers. Uh, it sounds like not only uh, on the financial services end, but also on the trade end, because frankly, we have that same challenge uh, as, as prudential regulators and market participants, how do you define these services? And it sounds like there are uh, implications not just from a regulatory standpoint, but also then um, how you apply international trading rules. P Professor Wong, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much. Looking at trade is more than interesting for people used to thinking about fintech policy through a financial regulatory lens. Perhaps most importantly, it illustrates how people in very different fields are ultimately tackling the same problem, how to classify innovative financial products and technology, and then to integrate them into decades-old regulatory frameworks. And at times, the two worlds can collide, creating more questions than answers, even as technology blazes forward. That's our episode from the WTO in Geneva. I'm Chris Brummer, and thanks for listening. We want to hear from you. Feel free to email us at fintechbeat at cqrollcall.com or tweet to at chrisbrummerdoctor. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. -M -M -E Join us next time on Fintech Beat, produced by CQ Rollcall.